This week's podcast brought to you by Rolly Bags. You and I were uh, finished running on the bike path recently, and we were walking. We didn't pass any birders on that day, I don't think, but a guy on a bike did pass us in the opposite direction. And after he got a little bit past us, he did a U-turn on his bike, and he came back, passed us again, and this time came around for a second longer look. And as he passed us the second time in the span of 30 seconds, he said to you, the hat isn't much of a disguise. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Okay, before we get to less important issues in today's podcast, I want to address something that came up a couple of weeks ago. A Twitter correspondent at Storm Surge, Matt, asked, and I can't find the specific question, but it, this was it. Uh, he knows the right answer. He hopes that we know the right answer. But a friend of his apparently doesn't know the right answer because he says, what happens if you're playing horse with three or more people? Player one makes a shot. Player two misses the shot. What does player three do? Player three gets to create their own shot in well, the game of horse, of course. Of course they do. In horse, of course. I'm assuming the friend thinks that player three has to match the first player's shot. And that's not the case it's, at all. It's not only not the case, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I as I'm thinking about it, I've always seen horse or pig or whatever you play as, you know, a two-person game. I don't know that I've played horse with multiple people. I, I, I would know the rules, but... That's that's coming from somebody who grew up with no neighbors within a mile Did you in play? a smaller family. Of course, I only ever played horse with three or more people, sometimes nine people. I was one of five kids. Um, I always played with buddies at a playground or something or in the driveway, but there was always more than... That puts two. a lot more pressure on you to convert your shot so no. that you can keep shooting what versus... It, what it does is is it makes the lineup, the order, uh, Like crucial. in knockout. And people always say, I don't want to follow Joe. I don't want to follow Timmy. Right. Where for people who've played knockout, which you play with two basketballs and you either play it from the free throw line or the three-point line, it's... It's not who's in front of you in that game, but it's who's behind you. You want to be behind the best shooter because if the best shooter is behind you, they have the best chance to knock you out. But yes, product, you being the product, product placement, even in games like horse and knockout, very important. And now with our, our uh, soon-to-be 13-year-old, she and I have played two-person horse in the driveway, but for uh, purposes of, of time constraints, I will say let's play pig and now we've started playing uh, variations emu or new with a g or i always say if we have to come up with an exotic animal that is three or fewer letters so you have to be the only human being in in the country who instead of playing pig is playing emu or new with yes. your daughter <laughs> that's right and my and then we're going to get the block rocker out in the driveway and i'm going to be listening to emo while playing Emu. Emu. Oh. 
But let's keep the basketball rolling, as it were. Um, we've got a few basketball subjects to address today. Uh, speaking of address, you had a wardrobe malfunction while just before calling a game in Minneapolis this past right. weekend, right? And so when I go on the road to call a basketball game, I bring one dress. I bring the one thing that I'm going to wear, uh, or only one option to wear on air. And our game was at 2.30 local, an afternoon game. And uh, Holly Rowe, I had breakfast with Holly Rowe, who mentioned she'd been gotten to Minneapolis the day before, had gone to Nordstrom or Nordstrom Rack. She was all excited because it's so rare that you find that she was saying it's so rare you find multiple dresses that you really like. And she'd purchased, I think, four dresses. So anyway, I'm getting and putting a brand new dress on, cut the tags off in the hotel room. I tried it on. I knew it fit before I packed it. Anyway, we're supposed to leave for the game in five minutes as the last thing I do getting ready is putting my dress on. I put my dress on, I sit on the bed, I lean over to tie my sneakers and I just hear the unmistakable sound of a tear. So I look at my dress and right on the seam in the back, it had split open a little bit and it's a peach colored dress. It's actually a very pretty dress and a good color for television. Anyway, I go in the bathroom, there is a sewing kit, but the only color that's even close uh, is red, red thread. So I just text Holly and said, just got a hole in my dress. Any chance you have anything? So go down. You and Holly Rowe now. now Holly not... Rowe is five foot nothing. She's what, five foot six? I, I, I don't no, know what she, she has is. to be at least a foot shorter than you are. Yeah, okay. So she's, she's, she's yes, very short. So anyway. Whether you're get... exceptionally tall. I like that you say she's very short. Right, right. Because she's a foot she's shorter She's average. I'm exceptionally tall. So get in the car. Next thing I know, she gets in the car and pulls out two dresses that are potential options, both navy blue dresses. So we get over to the arena. I'm thinking, all right, at least I have this thread, even though it'll look ridiculous. I can sew up the the part of this dress. So Holly gives me one dress. I try it on. It's a lovely dress. It's a little too short for me. The other dress I put on. But strangely, not a foot too short for me. Not a foot too short, just a little too short, a little too high. Uh, above the knee and then the other dress she I try on it fits perfectly and it's hysterical because the next day she was flying the next day to go to Orlando Florida for a COSIDA event she's getting an award that's the organization for sports information directors they're the people in college sports who give us all the information we need who facilitate interviews between the media players anyway Holly's getting a well-deserved award so yesterday she posts a video on Instagram. She's also sent me these videos, so I will post them on our Ball and Chain Instagram account, which is at Ball and Chain Podcast, of her wearing the dress that she had me wear the day before for the basketball game. And I was telling you this story yesterday, and you said, I don't understand I don't know how women's clothes sizes work, but how the hell are you and Holly Rowe the same dress size? And it's it's true, we are the exact same dress size. But the dress looks completely different on me than it does on Holly. Like, Holly is very curvy. I am very straight. It fits us in very different ways. But yes, ultimately, this exact same dress can be worn by five foot nothing Holly Rowe and six foot four me and was able to pull it off. Although in her Instagram post, she said, you know, who wore it better? I think she did. It, it the, This type of dress definitely is made for the more curvier female and... um 
and she looked lovely. Well, so I am so lucky. What would I have done? I would. My only option, if I, if Holly wasn't working, you would, this you would game, have had to go out and bought peach undergarments I, so that nothing showed. I through. would have had to sew the back of this dress, which you, people would have seen. I would have had to. I, I uh, Target Center is very cold, so I had a sweatshirt with me. I'd had to wear this sweatshirt around my waist. On TV, two, no one would have noticed because you know you don't see us standing uh, up. Two but, words: um, chip clip. I could have put a chip clip on the back of the dress. Well, the funny thing is, um, we also, when when we go on the road for WNBA, this is not the case in college basketball, but in the WNBA, if there are women working the event in particular, they uh, ESPN gets somebody to do your makeup. Well, as, as happens the morning of this game, the person who does makeup canceled as well. And I was working with Holly, so I didn't worry because Holly brings a big giant bag of makeup. Holly can do my makeup as well as any professional makeup artist. Now, if I had been on this game and the makeup artist had canceled and my dress had ripped, I would have gone on air with a hole in my dress and horrible, horrible makeup. So um, it's it's one of the major benefits of working with Holly Rowe. She's the, a woman of... Uh, of many talents. But she's on the road all the time. All she the goes time. straight from Minnesota to Orlando, whatever. Does she travel with a steamer trunk full of clothes? It's it, Well, that's one of the other remarkable, thing, remarkable things about Holly. When we saw her in Minnesota, the last time I'd seen her was two weeks before in Seattle to do a game. And she said, I haven't been home since I saw you guys in Seattle. She went right from Seattle to the Little League World Series in, um, not Little League World Series, I'm sorry, the, the college Women's softball. College Softball World Series in Oklahoma City, had been there for a week, which obviously takes much different outfits. They wear more casual clothing, they're outside in the heat, and then had come uh, to see to do our game. And that's one of the reasons she had said she had gone shopping for more dresses. She can pack for a week and a half, including a bunch of on-air events and one rolly bag suitcase. It's one of the more amazing things I've seen, especially because she packs multiple pairs of shoes. This is where it's beneficial to be small because like she pulls out, I'd say easily two pairs of her shoes is the size of one of mine. So she'll pull out all these shoes, the way she can pack and fit stuff in other things. So she'll have makeup, she'll have her workout clothes, her casual clothes, her all of her television clothes in one rolly bag, and then this giant um, work bag that she uses. It's it's a feat of packing. If anyone follows her on Twitter or I think on Instagram, she sometimes sh- will lay out on the bed every item that she's been able to fit into her rolly bag, and it it's pretty ridiculous. We've set a I think never to be broken record for the word rolly bag. If that's today's <laughs> drinking game. And speaking of drinking games, um, any drinking on the airplane? Oh, this was something I don't believe I've seen before. So the beauty of calling games in Minnesota, one of them, is that not only is it a direct flight, I could I didn't have to leave until later on Friday for the Saturday game. I get on the plane. It's, I think it's a 7.30 flight. I sit down. The flight attendant, I don't pay attention to the other people who, who are getting on after me, but I, I see the flight attendant lean over and talk to the guy in the seat in front of me. And I just hear him order... I don't know what the drink was, but he ordered a drink and I just see the flight attendant sheepishly get a little closer to him and say, I'm sorry, sir. I noticed when you came on that you've already been overserved. I'm not going to give you a drink. And and she was very apologetic and you could tell she was bracing for this guy to just lash out or be angry or yell or whatever. 
to and his... So, and such a lovely non-confrontational euphemism, you've been overserved. Yeah, it's been, somebody else's fault. Right, exactly. You've they, involuntarily consumed right. nine quarts of They Jim kept Bean. filling your glass. You were unaware of it. So to his credit, he said, all right, I'll just have a Coke. And, and then she apologizes again more and more. And uh, A gram of Coke. Yeah, it <laughs> could have been. So three hours later, two and a half hours later, when we land and get off the plane, he gets off right in front of me and I was stunned because he was ahead of me and he was walking in a way he was very much I wouldn't say staggering as much as like walking in a zigzag up the jet bridge and like he'd get to the wall and his shoulder would graze it and he'd almost bounce off of it and to think that he was that inebriated after three hours of not drinking any alcohol sitting on the plane he must have been an absolute mess when he got on the plane and credit to the flight attendant for not giving him one more because that might have pushed him over the edge to being just sick or um or even worse but uh but yeah that's the first time i think that's the first time i've ever seen a a flight attendant refuse refuse service of an alcohol alcoholic beverage to a passenger well, while you were in Minneapolis, I was at our kids' school carnival, and I was waiting in line to uh, to buy, I think it was cotton candy or something, and I'd spied across the carnival. I never got to say hello. I think by the time that I went to do that, he was gone. I spied a uh, former in-basement guest, Mike Golick. I didn't see Chris. I, if she was there, I didn't see her. Uh, at the bingo tent, and he makes his annual pilgrimage to play bingo at the school carnival, and it affords me my annual um, occasion to to suggest to him that it be its own show, Golik and Bingo. Right. And uh, and then I go about my way. But um, so anyway, well, I just wanted to. You texted me that um, that he was there, so I immediately texted him and just said, "I'm in Minnesota, but my spies tell me you are losing at Bingo, bingo again this year. Save money to get Chris a fried dough." And in typical Golik fashion, he responded. I already won 12 bucks. Had two burgers, some fries, and a pretzel. It's a good night. 12 bucks. <laughs> he won 12 bucks, yeah. And, so, and all uh, of those burgers, fries, and pretzel, that's the money that goes to, um, that the, goes to, to, the, to, to the school. Right. And he said, I'm sure to have a carnival bellyache tomorrow, but it will be well-deserved. So <laughs> 12 bucks up. Well, good for I'm Mike. glad one of us said hello. And just to round off the, the basketball portion of the show, actually... Another, uh, um, this isn't viewer mail, but somebody sent a clip from the Arizona Republic, Jeff Metcalf, um, who covers the WNBA for them, did interview Sophie Cunningham about her rolled up shorts, the so-called diaper look that has come up on the show yes. before. And um, she she uh, staunchly defends the look and more power to her because she's, it's, it's for good reason. Uh, my freshman year of college, she told Metcalf, I... I pulled my hamstring and groin. Everyone wears compressions underneath, but they gave those compressions. Uh, they gave me special compressions to help me out. I hate the long shorts because of my sweat. They just ride up. So with those short compression shorts, they weren't long enough. So I just started tucking them. I was like, wow, I really like how my legs feel free and all that. That's really the story. So it's... Uh, well, if anybody is watches the Minnesota Lynx again, that's where I was this past weekend. Lexi Brown plays for them. She played for Connecticut Sun last year, was, was traded in... Uh, in a draft day trade. Anyway, she also wears her shorts tucked up like that, very diaperish. And um, that's where Nike, as the uniform supplier of the WNBA, just make a few pairs for the women who want them. 
short shorts. They, you can harken back to the days of John Stockton and who else in, in, in the NBA legendarily. I guess that whole era, everyone yeah, wore those short shorts. But Dennis Rodman, I mean, had oh, yeah, very short course. shorts. So uh, just make it a reminds few me of pairs the, of the, so uh, they don't have to tuck them. Reminds me of the Flight of the Concords song, the summer of 1353. He ordered the, the tightest of tights. In the pointiest of boots. <laughs> we what was one of the things that was cool about being in Minnesota for that game. It was the they were celebrating before the game. Lindsey Whalen's jersey being retired, and um, all of her teammates wore number thirteen Lindsey Whalen uh, jerseys to the game to the arena, and um, that was a really cool thing to see. Well, even even the rookies who had who had never played well, with her. Just to finish off the Sophie Cunningham thing, you said the diaper look. Quote: This is from. Sophie Cunningham to Jeff Metcalf, quote, it looks like a diaper, some say, and some people think it's ugly, but I like the old shorts. So there. So there, so there, you, yeah, go. there you go. Well, that, that makes me think, too, because, of course, they're, they're, you know, the styles have changed. And when I was playing in college in particular in the mid-'90s, and that's when the Fab Five, you know, were wearing basketball shorts below the knees, black socks, the whole thing. So a couple weeks ago, when our daughter had Spirit Week at school, um, she had like a red, white, and blue day. And so I came to the basement and I we have a big like trash bin full of some of my sweats that I wore when I played with the National and the Olympic team in 1996. And I told her, you know, I got some red sweats that might work. Anyway, I pull out these champion brand sweats that did not look absurd at the time. And she put them on and they were enormous. And not only because they were XL or whatever they were, but even the cut, the legs, you could easily fit two or three full human size legs in one of the pant legs. They were just so billowy and huge. And she was saying, were you ever this big? And I said, no, this was just the style then. And and she couldn't get over it. And certainly in 2019, you would not be caught in that style of sweatpant. But um, there's, I put them back. I tucked them back into the, the garbage bin that we have. And maybe in 10 more years, in that 10 years, look will come back. There are only two possibilities skinny sweats and wide sweats it's it's the same with lapels and ties and everything else there can only be two things I, shrinking or been, n- narrowing or widening it's been and 20 plus years and that look is is not come no back no but yet. there, there so what, is I wonder no, what the cycle is there was no new you know they don't sell any new clothes without changing the the fashion take it from me the fashion horse um, right. but you're bearing the lead here on on basketball fashion didn't you didn't somebody send you a photograph from a youth game. This is this phenomenal. Is sort yeah, of because AAU last, bingo. last week on our Twitter handle, I posted the sheet from AAU Bingo. Now, there's actually a Twitter handle called AAU Bingo. It's AAU underscore bingo. And it was their scorecard that I posted. Anyway, I'm going to retweet this right now. Leslie sends this to us. And it just said, Is this on the bingo card? And it's somebody tweeting saying, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in our youth basketball tournaments, but I've never seen a basketball coach wear a uniform and go through pregame warmups with his players. And there's a picture attached. And the best part about the fact that this coach is wearing the uniform and doing the warmups is that the uniforms are camouflage. They're like, that's like one of the things in AAU that people, they wear camouflage uniforms. They're it's a gray and white camo uniform with a red stripe down the side, and the guy is is in line. I've already sent this picture to the coach that I coach AAU with, and said, um, "This should be us next year. Let's uh, let's get uniforms. Let's warm up with the kids." And his suggestion back to me was to get the unitard that the Australian women's basketball team wore back in the day. So anyway, I'm going to retweet this right now so that um, people can have a visual. <laughs> and you mentioned the same thing to our, our high school freshman who occasionally plays on that AAU team and uh, 
she was not uh, amused. No, she uh, she she did not find it entertaining. <laughs> And lastly, just to round out our basketball portion, we, we never talk sports or basketball. You would think it would come up more often on this, but um, I think the beauty of it is that we it doesn't. But um, last night was a big – last night as we record this was a big game five of the NBA Finals. Kevin Durant was injured. Denny sent a curiosity shop question about whether Durant should have played, how, how much – Notice, do you get in a situation like that if you're if you're injured as a player, et cetera? But the for purposes of this podcast, I think the most interesting thing is that neither you nor I saw the dramatic conclusion to that game because we were both sound asleep, yeah, I as was... you would be on the East Coast at eleven thirty p.m. when you have to wake up at six the next morning. We wa- we were watching the game in the living room as you know. Each of us was helping different kids go to bed at different times. Came back, still had the game on in the living room. All right, it's getting late. I'm getting tired. I went upstairs. We have a, t- a small TV in the bedroom. The game was on in there. And I, at one point, look over at you. I said, do you want me to leave the, the game on? And you said, what, what's the time and score? And there were six minutes left in the game, and it was like a five-point game. I, was, I, was, I, I like to, to close my eyes, start falling asleep, but let the, let the game narration sort of right. infuse my dreams. So, and so that I don't know if it's really happening or if I'm imagining what's happening. This is like 11.15 p.m., which is well past my bedtime. But anyway, I went right to sleep. And in the morning, I woke up, the TV was off, and I said to you, did you see the end of the game? You said, oh, no. I said, do you have any idea who won? Not yet. So we uh, we both had to wake up well, like we used to as kids and find out who won the basketball game. And the way our kids do as well. So I... I believe I'm supporting my colleagues in the print media by going to sleep during big basketball games or big sporting events and reading about it the next morning, finding out what happened the next morning in the paper, as it were, uh, online. And um, I I like that. It reminds me that it's 1978 again. Yeah. Well, that's that's, uh, what can be a challenge sometimes for me when we go out to the West Coast. And what's been nice early in this WNBA season, we've had a lot of midday weekend games. Um, but when we have the nighttime weekday games, we're in LA and there's a seven o'clock local start or something and my body at 10 p.m. is starting to call a game when if I was not working, my body at that point would be getting ready to go to, <laughs> getting ready to go to bed. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm sure it was a great finish. Well, one of the reasons. Golden State won, right? One of the they did by okay. one point, and um, so at least it wasn't the final game of the of the series. No, so. there were other games we would be able to sleep through. Right, at the very exactly. least, a game six and probably a game seven. Right, I think a game six though. No, that one is a game night. seven would really be an exciting game to sleep through. Right, <laughs> it's on. Uh, I believe it's the night of Father's Day. I think to read about the next day, Sunday night. And yeah. can I just say about Father's Day? You said to me an hour ago. Right. Sunday is Father's Day. I'm going to be working a game, Connecticut Sun game at the Mohegan Sun Arena, would you, Steve, like to take our four children to that game to would celebrate say, Father's would you, Day? Would you like to celebrate Father's Day at the game? And I said, what does this have to do with Father's Day? <laughs> I wanted you to at least know that I re- recognized it was Father's Day. And yes, this kind of stinks that I have to work on Father's Day. But if I just said, you know, I'm, I'm working a game Sunday and didn't mention that it was Father's Day, that that wouldn't have been the right thing for me to do. Had you been working a game in Los Angeles or Dallas, and I couldn't have brought the children to the game, 
I would have had to have stayed home and possibly they would have entertained themselves. Right. But because it's in Connecticut, I, I have did, the possibility of going. I did say to you, I said, or since it's Father's Day, would you like me to take the kids to the game? They, you know, they can entertain. We have t- season tickets. Would, would you like me to take the kids to the game? They can watch the game while I work the game and you can just be home alone. And uh, those was that, are your was options. That, was that your first offer or was that your no, second offer? No, that was my second offer. After I said all the things that I just said. Yes. No, okay. the, um, I think the first offer is still the better one for our whole family. Well, <laughs> until, until this weekend, all of our kids are still in school, which is why I have to get up at six in the morning to do the school run and can't stay up for the end of the NBA finals games. Not that I would probably be able to do that anyway. And I was thinking today about those last days of school and specifically the last day of school, which will be Thursday for our kids. Do you have memories of the last day of school? I just remember because, because our our oldest daughter said today when she finished her final and they just have finals in the morning this week. So they're on short days. uh, The kids were running down the halls and, exclaiming loudly. Yeah, no, I, I definitely remember being hot because that was the time of year where it really got hot right. and you'd be sitting in your class kind of sweaty and um, cleaning out the locker. That was a big part of it. It was filling your backpack with everything that was in your locker. or If you had any decorations, a mirror or a picture or whatever, taking that down. I remember in middle school having my cutout pictures from Sports Illustrated of Cheryl Miller and some other women's players in my locker. That being a big big part of it. And then, yeah, when the bell rang, kind of everyone screaming and being excited as they got on the school bus. And then at least when I was growing up, where I was growing up, you were required by law, somebody would have uh, either on a boom box, it would have to be. Although the radio was probably also playing on the loop that week, playing Schools Out by Alice Cooper. Right. No right, more exactly. teachers, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. Yeah. Right. And that led me to thinking about... Um, because we always have a ritual here where when school's finally out, we, we crank a kind of playlist of summer tunes, often uh, has um, Summertime by Kenny Chesney, I believe, is always on there. That'll Course, always be on there, yep. I like to play a song by the Sundays, You and Me in the Summertime. But the greatest of summer songs, I think we can all agree. We probably won't agree because you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. I was born in September of 1966, and for three weeks, the number one song, August of 1966. So that summer, that hot summer of 1966, the number one song was Summer in the City by The Love and Spoonful. You're familiar with yeah, this song? Yeah, I know that song, yep. Hot Town, Summer in the City, yeah. Back of My Neck, Getting Dirty and Gritty. Yep, I know that song. And the thing that, that has always you know, resonated with my childhood and amazed me about that is so that's the Love and Spoonful lead singer John Sebastian, 1966. Ten years later, he has another, I assume it was the number one hit, with the theme to Welcome Back, Cotter. Really? It's the same person? It is the same person. Oh, interesting. And that was a hit song, too, not just It was a hit song on the radio, yeah. Okay. At that time, you would have hit songs of TV theme songs. So uh, the theme to... Um, SWAT, an entirely instrumental, was a hit song on the radio. That doesn't happen now. Huh. Hill Street Blues, like in 1982-ish, yeah, sure. had a hit song, the theme from Hill Street Blues. You know what we should put on the summer playlist this year for sure is um, Tom, Dick, and Harry's Riding on My Stingray. Definitely. That's a great song. And again, that's available on iTunes if anyone hasn't listened to it. It's a it's really catchy and a really fun song. So Riding on My Stingray by uh, Tom, Dick, and, and Harry. S- speaking of summer songs, and um, w- we have the Ball and Chain 
uh, book club or is it the Ball and Chain Book Challenge? I'm not sure what the summer designation well, is for it. Last week after the podcast, I said to you, I want to post something on the Twitter feed about our book challenge. And um, you said, well, we have to call it we have to come up with a good name for it. So I said, all right, that's that's on you to come up with a good name. But well, we, you haven't had to well, because I, lots of our listeners have said they just want to call it the B and C. BC. BC. So right. that's but, what it will be. But if it had not been that, I'm thinking that the summer music theme could have covered us. We could have, we could have called it Summer Reads Makes Me Feel Fine. Summer Reading Had Me a Blast. Summer Reading Happened So Fast. I like it. People can't see you closing your eyes in, in evident what, pain. No, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing the Grease album, the cover art. And, and, and uh, so am I. Olivia Newton-John, white jumpsuit, is that what Yes, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> For John Travolta. <laughs> With the whoopsie-doo hair. Yeah, was, that was never a big... Whoopsie-doo? It's never a big John Travolta as a uh, heartthrob, heartthrob kind of girl. <laughs> you, you were, but it wasn't until like the later... 2000s. Right, the Pulp Fiction, John Travolta. That's the picture I had up in my my college bedroom. That was when you were taking down posters in your locker at the end (laughs) of the school year. It was was that. This isn't quite an Uber confession, but I went yesterday into Manhattan and spoke at a law firm, and it was a a really fun experience. And and one of the things um, they did was they got a car service for me. So the guy who picked me up really nice guy. I really enjoyed him. Felt safe the whole way. But um, as we're driving, I said to him, you know, I'm going to be doing some work. I'll have my headphones on. So feel free to, to play the radio. Feel free to play any music that you want. And uh, and he so he did. And he put on music and it was all music I liked. It went from R&B to rap to whatever. He was playing different playlists. But he turned it up so loud that the whole car was like bumping. I could feel the bass in my chest as we're driving down the street. And I'm just laughing to myself thinking, um, you know, when I said feel free to play music, I didn't quite realize you were going to turn it up to, to decibel 10. And um, But anyway, that was that was a small thing. And I didn't say anything to him because I, I did actually enjoy the music he was listening to. And he was such a good guy and I enjoyed him. But um, it was funny because you don't generally see like a Lincoln Town car driving on the west side of Manhattan. Um, you have plenty of other cars where this music is bumping out of the windows, but not usually in the Lincoln Town car. And incredibly, you were speaking a couple of blocks from where the helicopter that crashed in Manhattan yesterday oh, yeah, crashed was, onto the top of an office building. Yeah, the office building where I was was on like 52nd in Lexington. And when I was done speaking, I got back in the car and the driver said to me, because he'd, I think, been listening to the radio or maybe looking on social media, he said a helicopter just crashed also on 52nd Street or 51st Street. He said a couple of blocks away and he said, I don't know how I didn't hear it. And now I'm thinking, well, I do. <laughs> you probably had the music bumping, but we were about two blocks away, and um, and he didn't hear the crash. Right. But uh, but right nearby where that happened. Okay, shall we get to viewer mail? Yes, let's get. Okay, to let's viewer get to viewer mail. mail. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Matthew writes, "You'll love this story as Catholics." When I was in eighth grade, writes Matthew, my sister was a senior in high school and we went to Catholic school. We were parishioners of St. Patrick's Church and the mass schedule there was 7 a.m., which our parents went to, 9 and 1130. 
Being the teenagers we were, we thought it was cool to sleep in, so every Sunday night we would go, in quotation marks, to either 5.30 Mass at Holy Family or 7 o'clock Mass at Sacred Heart. Without fail, every single Sunday, my sister Amy and her friend Lynn would get in the front seat and myself in the back. We cranked Beastie Boys and would drive to each church where I would sprint in the back, grab a bulletin, and sprint back to the car. (laughs) Once securely in the car, we would drive to every cute boy's house and see if they were in the yard. I was lucky enough to go every week, not knowing that I was being used for my cat-like quickness to snare bulletins without being seen. So, whenever I hear the Beastie Boys, I relive fond memories of skipping church, grabbing bulletins, and, of course, the introduction to the stock route. The whole the whole reason, of course, to grab the bulletin is so you could tell like your a, parents that... It's like a receipt from yeah, Mass. Yeah. Right, exactly. Proof of, <laughs> proof of purchase. We'll have to find out from Matthew if he then went to confession and uh, not only confessed to the priest that he'd missed Mass on Sunday, but that he had also stolen a bulletin and lied to the folks about where they were. But that's so unbelievably well, I, I think, hilarious. I think, uh, I think cosmically he'd be forgiven for... Because he, they were listening to the Beastie Boys right. during that whole thing. And, that and forgives everything. You talk about the, the B&C book challenge, which is really just to read. There's no contest. One of the books I've read this summer was one you gave me for Christmas, last Christmas, uh, the Beastie Boys book, which is fantastic. I, I highly recommend it. Lots of pictures, lots of fun information. Lots that's of a, different, lots of reliving the 80s and, yeah. and 90s in a, in a um, well-written way as well. Uh, Rebecca and Steve writes, Tom... Tom, not my brother. In fact, Tom writes that whenever uh, he's had an email read on air, I've invariably referred to him as Tom, not my brother Tom. So he believes he has already earned his place as the resident Tom who is not Steve's brother. So I think he's got that. He can have that. But the reason he's writing is not to say that. The reason he's writing is to say that um, your brief discussion last week's podcast of of the appeal of soccer brought to mind one of the most intriguing aspects of the English Premier League, The concept of relegation, in which weaker teams are forced to move to lower divisions and sometimes out of professional soccer entirely. Such a thing is unthinkable in America, land of the participation trophy, writes Tom. But its opposite could and has occurred. Perhaps you saw the news recently that the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Association forcibly removed the University of St. Thomas from its league. Of course I did see this. This was huge news in Minnesota and made national news. The reason St. Thomas is simply too good at various sports, particularly football. Such reverse relegation is not just an only-in-America phenomenon. It is, I would argue, quintessentially Minnesotan. As Steve well knows, there were a few sins in the state greater than overperforming in a showy manner. He is absolutely right. That's why the Vikings have done the right thing and, and lost with dignity, sometimes without dignity, in four Super Bowls. It's why all of the Minnesota presidential candidates, Walter Mondale, Hubert Humphrey, Harold Stassen, uh, have lost in, in the Super Bowl, as it were. And it's why uh, Minneapolis built its tallest building, the IDS Center. The, the, there's the next tallest building was built to be just shorter than the IDS, so as not to show it up. Um, it's why when we go to Niswa, Minnesota, in the summer, we always admire the the sign at the at the uh, downtown Niswa, as it were. It says Niswa, home of pretty good shopping. Right. So uh, absolutely the understated Minnesotans. Understated. Uh, is is an understatement. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, Jim is looking forward to the BNCBC, the Ball and Chain Book Club or Book Challenge, uh, and is surprised to hear that I already know Dave Bedini. He's not only a writer, but a Canadian rock star of the Rio Statics. You may also be interested 
interested in his book, Baseballissimo, in which Dave took his family to Italy to follow an Italian baseball team. I'm familiar with the book. I have many of Dave's books. And um, Canadian authors now come up on Ball and Chain with some frequency. I like it. Good morning, Rebecca and Steve. Uh, I Writes uh, Elaine, I have another loose meat term to add to your list. I like that we have a list of loose meat oh, terms. Do, right. This is a, an active running list. I think if, if two words. Of loose meat. We have, a, we have people who write in with, to add to their list of loose meat terms. You just, know, just let that soak in for a second. Well, can, do you, know, you, you know, see those word clouds where like the phrases and words are bigger or smaller depending on their frequency? Yeah. I think if you were to do a word cloud of every word that has been uttered on ball and chain, and uh, it'd be nice if some, if it, we had some illegal backbreaking intern labor to to do that for us. Or I legal think the phrase backbreaking labor or intern that would work fine um, too. But uh, I think loose meat might be the phrase that that comes up most frequently on this. On if this you were going to search podcasts and and your whole criteria was which podcast talks most about loose meat. I uh, I bet we'd be in the top five. None none of the other ones would be in the sports or family category. But um, in fact, I think we'd if, be in the top five. If if our first eighty podcasts were just test podcasts, which yeah. is what they sound like, yeah. and we were to start the podcast now, right? It probably would have been called Loose Meat. Perhaps it would have. Yeah. And may have, may have. All right. What's her term? Oh, I'm to sorry. Add I'm to sorry. The list? Um, I have another loose meat term to add to the list. Writes Elaine. I was having a committee meeting at my home in Maine, and one person offered to bring dynamites for lunch. I was totally lost as to what these could be. It turns out it is a ha- it is hamburger in a tomato sauce served on a split top New England style hot dog bun. Growing up in Connecticut, I only knew them as sloppy joes. Wow, but I've a, never had a loose meat sandwich, sloppy dough, it, sloppy joe, and a hot dog, and a hot dog bun. Interesting. Not only that, but a split top New England style hot dog well, bun. That's some the people only may, kind of hot some dog Some people may not know are. that in New England, just because they like to be different and and ostentatiously so, it's they split their hot dog rolls. It's an improvement on the hot dog bun. The one that you open on the side and the bun, the the hot dog can fall out. So it's just a piece of bread that's like cut halfway. You sit the hot dog in the top of the bun so it can still sit on your plate and you can add condiments while it just sits there it is so much better than the non what's what the non split top bun you're not talking non n-a-a-n an indian style no split but top i, I bun do made of i non-bread. am a fan of non bread too elaine by the way is the intern director for the orleans firebirds of the cape cod baseball oh, league oh we go up and go to and some of course orleans we go to the orleans firebirds and games. and um not to mention the the brewster whitecaps but uh do you have an opening for a resident intern director? We do. In fact, I was just lamenting that we don't have uh, possibly illegal backbreaking summer intern labor so let's to come up with a word cloud we'll, for the Ball and Chain podcast. Uh, that's her first I- intern assignment. Absolutely. So uh, where to begin here with uh, Hello Restiva, writes Ralph in, in Maryland. We've talked about uh, replacing nets in in local parks, basketball nets. Right. When you see a ragged net or, God forbid, a, a basketball room that net. doesn't have a net. Or if half of it's fallen down, that's the same thing as having no net at all. Ralph writes about Dr. Michael Hal- Halberstam, who was doing the same thing back in the 1970s. And maybe we could uh, continue to do this in his memory. Uh, Dr. Michael Halberstam, whose brother was the great author and journalist David Halberstam. Uh, Dr. Michael Halberstam was... was uh, murdered in his home in 1980 when he uh, surprised a burglar 
well, he came home and there was, his house was being burglarized. Um, but he evidently replaced Nets in, um, I think he lived in suburban Washington, D.C. Perhaps we could do this. In, and so, anyway, Ralph in Maryland noticed uh, in, his, in, his own home, in his own town that um, four Nets at the High Point Park needed replacements. So he wrote to the, to the city, the county, the town to let them know of that. And uh, the county executive's office has sent a 311 report to the Parks and Rec Department. This seems like a lot of bureaucracy about the net. I will check on it during my daily walks. Will they address the larger issues? I do not know. But um, Ralph also had a whatchamacallit this afternoon and found it tasty, but he still likes Snickers better. Well, he should eat the whatchamacallit while he's walking on his walk to check out to see if they've completed the 311 and gotten the nets for the parks. Do you suppose suppose if this were the, uh, the great... Uh, police show Adam 12, which you probably don't remember, where they would say one Adam 12, one Adam 12. There's a 311 in progress. The 311 would be Rebecca Lobo on a stepladder replacing a net in the park as a violation of the county ordinance. And that's why you just get the nets and get the ladders if you're an able-bodied person and can can replace the uh, the net yourself or else you spend your days and your weeks on your walks wondering if they're going to complete the 311. Right, And, and, and there's an illicit thrill as if you're tagging a, a, a subway car with graffiti, but in fact you're doing... It's, it's, it's the it's, opposite of that. You're right. beautifying it's, the park. It's an it's a, it's a anti-vandalism that you're doing. Right. But you still have the illicit thrill of, 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 of performing vandalism. Of doing something that you quite, didn't quite have permission for. Yeah, exactly. Well, John uh, writes, John with no H, by the way. Okay. Welcome, John How do we with feel no about H. John with no H? Oh, I'm good because usually that's a short for Jonathan, yeah. and there's no H well, in course, Jonathan. Exactly. So yeah, so. we're we're good with John with no H. Well, of course we are. I mean, we'd be ridiculous. We'd be good with anything. Yeah, sure. We'd be John good with, two with John N's? with J A H N. Sure. Anyway, or John like J A A N like non Brett, but but G, <laughs> this would be John Brett. Okay, read the letter. Okay. Um, well, he uh, he enjoys listening to Ball and Chain. He grew up in Maine and went to college in Connecticut while you, Rebecca, were at UConn. Grew up rooting for Syracuse because basketball because both of his brothers went to Cuse. Now my oldest niece will be attending their alma mater in the fall as a freshman. Living in Connecticut for 29 years now, I have become a huge UConn women's fan while still rooting for Syracuse men's. His He has two daughters similar ages as our middle kids. The older one is all about theater, pop culture, and music. While uh, his other daughter is huge into all sports, she would play basketball every day if possible. She's got killer ball handling skills. She can do stuff with a basketball at 11 years old that I couldn't do on varsity high school. She watches YouTube all the time and practices the moves. We obviously didn't have that. Uh, John coaches her at basketball and softball, takes the soccer season off because uh, the daughter needs to hear another voice for, from for her coach. Yeah, You're familiar with that? always a good thing, yeah. And we mostly leave the sports on the field or court so we can have a positive family life and not all consuming sports life separation is very important. But here's, here's the crux of the matter here. John runs a sporting goods manufacturing company in Connecticut. Quote, I listened to your podcast a week or so ago about outfitting basketball courts with nets. I have over the years donated many basketball nets to our local town's P&R courts because they wear out and never get replaced. As you mentioned, and we all know, it's impossible to play basketball on a netless rim. So, I would like to be your resident basketball net supplier. Please let me know where or how I can get you some basketball nets so you can continue the good work of helping our youth play basketball on netted rims. Keep up the great podcast, John. Well, I just absolutely love this. And we clearly need to connect John with Ralph. Ralph's in Maryland, you said? Connect, well, we need to connect John with us. Connect John with us, yes, but also connect John with Ralph. Maybe he can send down four nets. 
Ralph you know what, can you know forget this, the 311 you know or the 310 or whatever it is and, and go put the nets up or find somebody to put the nets up. We are creating a oh no network. We are creating a network. Yes, we are, we are. networking in the best yes. possible way. Yes, yes. And um, so save that email because I, I don't trust that you'll get in touch with John about this. I'm going to follow through with John on this particular matter. Follow through, to use a basketball metaphor. There you go. This is, this is all coming together. Um, Brian writes, so while my wife was not in labor, we've, we've for somehow we've gone down an alley where where uh, we get stories of people who are eating during labor. No, no. We get Usually, stories of husbands who are eating during labor. We've not gotten a single story about the wife who's eating during labor. Not so, yet. Not, okay, go ahead. We, we do have a story of a woman nursing a cat on an airplane. <laughs> we so do I think have that. After that, anything okay. is really possible. G- right? Give me, give okay. me the new I'm story. Sorry. So, Brian, so while my wife was not in labor. She was far enough pregnant during this story that her sense of smell could rival a bloodhound's. So, we are... At the supermarket, and she sends me back to get something we missed. She turns the corner to where they are giving out free chicken wings. The smell hit her like a ton of bricks, and she runs runs away. In the next aisle, she comes upon me wearing my New York Giants hat, gnawing on a chicken wing like there's no tomorrow. By her description, all she could picture was my body with a chicken wing for a head with a Giants (laughs) hat on it, sort of like the Bugs Bunny cartoon with guys stranded on the island. Somehow... Somehow, writes Brian, and this is my favorite part, and this is the, the kicker to the story. Somehow, this was all my fault. <laughs> Obviously. Well, the pregnancy included? Yeah, just just tiptoe around. If your wife's pregnant, tiptoe around her. Check with her on everything if it involves uh, smell. If there's any kind of food, is, is it okay if I open this bag of chips? Will, will that be all right with you, or do I need to eat them in another room? Just have some sympathy for the... For the woman carrying the bowling ball around in her belly. Well, um, okay, let's let's uh, let's check in with uh, with Doctor Siegel, shall we? Oh, of course, that's a perfect segue. Dear Rebecca and Steve, attached. Well, of course, it is a perfect segue. Now that I think about it, it is pregnancy and our resident OBGYN. Yes. Dear Rebecca and Steve, attached. Please find a picture of a blown out flip flop that I normally wear into the shower at the gym. Now, there is no attachment of a of a picture of his blown out flip flop. Instead, instead, there's a picture of a. Target gift card, <laughs> and, and I'm grateful the, for that. Do you think he accidentally sent the wrong? No, no, no. I, I just think JPEG? I think he I think he uh, discretion got the better of him, and he decided not to send us the picture of the flip flop that he wears under the shower. Okay. But I found myself having to go to Target to buy a new pair for three ninety nine, and I asked my wife via text if she needed anything while I was there. Uh oh, Doctor Siegel. Uh, that's, a, that's a good husband, but you've just added 15 minutes to 15 your minutes. shopping experience. Yes, You went in to buy well, a $4 if, pair of flip-flops. Assuming he knows the store and, and where stuff is. And now, yeah, and now, and now you're on, a, you're, you're, you're you're on a, an excursion you're now. On a, you're on an excursion. Well, let's, let's see if this is going where I assume it must be. Okay. The items needed included body wash for me, detergent, and bottled water. First of all, so he asked his wife, do we need anything? And she says, you need body wash? Right, <laughs> right. Passive aggressive much? No, that's a helpful wife. Okay, okay. Well, she's saying, you know, you could pop a breath mint or something in essence, is she not? But that's still part of being okay. a helpful okay. wife. Okay. It's, it's a conversation that's gone back years okay. for you and me. When okay. when I've met when we've met people, okay. if I've met oh, sure. people okay. Okay. and there's grooming things yeah. that need need okay. to take care yeah. of. Okay. It's their jobs their wife's job to let okay. them know. The items needed included bo- included body wash for me, detergent and bottled water for my mother in law. 
I did have to take a picture of the particular detergent label and send it to my wife for her approval. She couldn't remember which specifications of the brand she preferred with oxidization, high energy, etc. And I successfully navigated the purchase of all the items, albeit with continuous support by text message. Best of all, due to my astute shopping, I garnered a $10 Target card, picture attached, and indeed there is a picture attached, due to adept purchasing of two bottles of detergent and four Dove brand hygiene products. There's now Dr. Siegel now gets product placement. I think he's the only one getting sponsorship money from this right. podcast. Well, no, because I know exactly what he's talking about, because often you go to purchase something and there'll be a sign right below it that says, if you get two of these plus whatever other items, you'll get a $5 Target gift card or $10 gift card. And you do when you're checking out. That's how that's why he sent accidentally, okay. I'm guessing, the picture of the Target gift card. That was his ultimate reward for getting the stuff. And now he can go back at his leisure and use his $10 gift card on whatever he wants. Well, he writes, Steve, it was scary, but I did it. <laughs> I couldn't wait for a pair of flip-flops from Amazon, so I had to go into a store. You were my inspiration. Best, Gary, with two R's. P.S. I later went to Costco for new wiper blades, and since my wife was otherwise busy, a delicious pizza dinner only spoiled by the lack of Diet Coke. Since Costco has foolishly chosen Pepsi for its soda vendor, this native Atlantan barely knew what Pepsi was until he ventured into Chapel Hill, North Carolina years ago in search of a college degree. See, look at that. Windshield wipers, dinner. I mean, Dr. Siegel's branching out. This email is enticingly headlined, Wifey of Stone Curtis. Oh, okay, Wifey. It seems like I deserve a new name since I am married to the infamous Stone Curtis, formerly Curtis Ross. <laughs> I love that Stone Curtis is a recurring character now on the Ball and Chain right, podcast. Right. He, would like, he would love to be a 007 James Bond character, but I am far from a Bond girl and would not like to be. What is an equal, strong female name that would be married to Stone Curtis? I'm thinking of would strong females. Pebbles? Pardon? Pebbles? Pebbles, Pebbles from Flintstone Pebbles, immediately Curtis? comes to mind, but... Is that a strong female name, or is that sort of a... Uh, it could be, I suppose. I, I would suggest Jade Curtis, Onyx Curtis. Or the best one of all, Diamond Curtis. Diamond Curtis. I think Diamond Curtis is the winner. You have Stone Curtis and Diamond Curtis, because Diamond, Diamond is a strong but also very beautiful... Well, I would suggest a, a slightly more feminine and yet still strong name would be Soapstone Curtis. <laughs> Soapstone, Curtis. Okay, I think I'll stick with Diamond. <laughs> Diamond, Curtis, okay. I've been listening to your podcast and love your family, writes Diamond, Curtis. Some other podcasts I'm noticing a theme of people that are talented writers but often lack common sense. They can remember all sorts of trivia, but they can't seem to remember some basics. Stone is one of these super intelligent gents that lacks common sense and drives me nuts. For example, he has an old flip phone. He's waiting for a new feature that he read about that has not been released and refuses to upgrade to a smartphone. So he calls me needing directions or weather reports. <laughs> What's the feature he's waiting for on his flip phone? I can't imagine. Wait, he's basically waiting for somebody to, to build a smartphone that you flip open. You know what the feature is? What's that? The belt holster. Right. <laughs> I think the you can find to the plenty belt. of those on eBay. Hey, Rebecca and Steve, writes Abby. Still bummed Rebecca isn't coming back to Seattle for another home storm game this year. I'll be headed to Africa, Tanzania, in August with some PT students from Stony Brook University and would love to take a ball and chain sticker along, perhaps to photograph while on safari. Maybe I'll run into fellow husky Hashim Thabit while I'm there. Would you please send swag, Abby, swag, 
Oh, I know, Abby, you absolutely have to send swag. That reminds me, because I got an email, or I guess it was a message on Twitter from Deb, who's in Minnesota, and she said, if you want, you can bring some swag to the game, and I'll get it from you. So we had an envelope full of swag. Oh, did you deliver to her? I put in my basketball bag. After the game, a woman came over. Deb could not be there. She was not feeling well, but this was her girlfriend or her wife, I believe, who came, and I gave her the swag. And so Deb now has the swag in her possession, and hopefully it was all that she she hoped it would be. Do you think that that the woman was, in fact, uh, the person who portrays Deb on social media and in letters to our podcast? Do you think it was actually for her, or do you think it was somebody? No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there is no Deb. No, there's a Deb. There's, or, or I don't know. There's a Deb on Twitter, so I don't know if this person was, was. The and then she put on, she put on a different voice was, and said, and said, uh, Deb couldn't be here, but right. I'll accept the swag for Deb. Could be, but I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, Stephen Rebe- Oh, so ball and chain uh, going on safari in Tanzania. Yes. Uh, well, George, our croaky and monocle dealer, uh, writes from Dublin. Uh, my wife, my wife and I just returned from a trip to Ireland, he writes. In honor of Rebecca's proposed ball and chain summer book challenge, I've attached photos of your swag taken at various Dublin locations having a literary connection. And, of course, Dublin is lousy with literary connections everywhere. Uh, Hodges Figgis Bookstore, the oldest in Dublin, 1768. In front of the Duke and, in, in front of the Duke and inside O'Neill's, two of the pubs included in the literary pub crawl, which was excellent. The Trinity College Old Library Long Room, housing more than 200,000 rare books. He has ball and chain coaster in front of all these sacred places, and I, and I like that. It's I, sort of his... I'm delighted by the fact that he spent time, you know, holding up the ball and chain coaster in front of these places, that the ball and chain in some way, our podcast in some way, was living in Ireland Absolutely. at these moments. So thank you so and, much, George. And we that should is post, wonderful. post a couple of these pictures on. Okay. on I, I will do that. I'll pop, you know, I'll, I'll, since they're pictures, I will post them on our Instagram account, which again, ball and chain podcast. And, uh, and you can find them there. Also, inside the Guinness storehouse, uh, below a captioned photo of Ginger displayed near the restrooms of the Brazenhead Pub, the oldest in Ireland. Uh, and George adds a P.S. Just to clarify, I meant the Brazenhead is thought to be the oldest pub in Ireland. I'm not sure if the restrooms are the oldest, but I like the fact that the uh, restrooms at the, the Brazenhead, it could be just the name of, of the restroom as well. Right. <laughs> right. Finally, last week, I think it was last week's show, I lose track of these things, was our, our special, we, we, we had a lot of bird watching and yeah that was last week that was episode 80 we're now on uh, episode 81 khaki vested red peepers peepers, yes yes. and uh we solicited feedback from our resident bird watcher we have a resident birder in watch in in, i'm sorry our resident bird watcher in glastonbury yeah in connecticut and she 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 wrote to us. Okay, what did she say? She wrote, Hello, Stephen Rebecca. I was delighted to hear you mention birders in the latest BNC podcast, although you did stray dangerously close to birder stereotyping. We did. Hard not to, I guess, she writes, when faced with all that khaki and gear. Except that we weren't stereotyping. We were simply describing the two people that we saw, right? Well, sure. Yeah. To answer your questions, she writes, I think a birder would say every day is a good day for birding. But right now, we have just finished the migration season when the gloriously colorful but teeny-tiny constantly moving warblers come through and flutter and sing at the very tops of the tallest trees at first flight. At first light, excuse me. In May, the birds and the birders are out and about every 
about very early in the morning, so you may have missed them on the trail if you weren't out there really early. So we must have seen the not the early comers. birders, but the late birders, <laughs> right? We, they, we, yes, it, because we were there probably, I don't know, sometime around 9-ish. Right. In June, writes our staff birder Denise, we can relax a bit and concentrate on the breeding season, enjoying bird behavior and taking notes on resident birds for the for the Connecticut Bird Atlas Project. Just let me know if you'd like a separate disquisition on this important citizen science effort. Okay. The only correct response to that is, of course we would. No, of course. We, I'm saying, okay, we will let right. her know, of course. No, you're saying, okay, we'll let you know if we want that. No, I'm saying, of course the we The Connecticut want it. Bird Atlas. How do the birds know to confine themselves to Connecticut? Or do you suppose that those, the Connecticut Bird Atlas and the Rhode Island Bird Atlas are almost identical? They're probably similar, probably but similar. I don't know. Well, the, the two states should get together and, and, and form a common bird atlas, I would think, just to save up on paperwork. Well, no, the Connecticut one will be slightly larger than the Rhode Island one. Anyway, continue. Dang right. For myself, my, quote, spark bird, a phrase I've never heard but I love, and I already know what it means from context. For myself, my spark bird was a scarlet tanager when I was a college student, but I have birder friends who started looking at birds and making lists when they were six or eight years old. My spark bird, of course, was Larry. Right. And now have 60 years of birding experience to draw from. Notably, nearly all of these are men who, as Rebecca wisely surmises, had more leeway to keep birding even as family responsibilities demanded more time. So it's like golf in that regard. Right. But I'm happy to say the Connecticut birding community has a very healthy mix of friendly and generous women and men of all ages, retired or not, and there is also a Connecticut Young Birders Club. I love that. Isn't that great? It is great. I told you, I had Roger Torrey Peterson's field guide to the North American birds when I was a young Minnesota birder. Yes. Finally, writes Denise, if you do get Sue Bird in basement for an avian bird and chain adventure, bird and chain adventure, don't you think your staff birder should be included? As all birders, we live in hope. How great would that be if we had Sue in basement and um, said, oh, and this is just our staff birder. We thought it would be nice for her to be here I think well. it would be only appropriate. It would be only appropriate. Sign your staff birder, Denise in Glastonbury. P.S. off topic, and here's where this podcast all comes together. My favorite Canadian writers are Louise Penny, Robertson Davies, and Jane Urquhart. Okay. So, on that note. On that note. Is it time for Tom, who is your brother, Dick, who's not, Hari. Who could be? Who's like an honorary member? Play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pet Live in this cuckoo nest Daily grind puts your sanity To a daily test Androgynous and vigorous What we give for a little rest Stay day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.